Hello, I'm Amanda Hill-Rao with You Choose You Now podcast. During my podcast, I've shared my journey about how I chose myself and came back home to realize my worth, my value, and to get over my limiting beliefs. But I realize as a human being, we're all connected. We're all made for connection. And so I'm delighted to share my first interviews with my guests. People who are in their own journey have found that they have come back to themselves and realized their value, their worth. And I'm delighted to share their journeys with you to see what you can learn. Because after all, we are made to help one another in our awareness. You do you, I do me. But with our connections and our love and our compassion and being, we are built to become who we were meant to be. So I invite you to sit back, relax, listen to the guests, and find out how we are truly all connected. Welcome to my show, You Choose You Now. I'm your host, Amanda Hill-Ryle, and today I've got a sensational guest. His name is Michael Siva. He's an award-winning executive coach, a speaker, and an author. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thank you so much, Amanda, for having me. I appreciate you. No, I appreciate you. After having our chat the other day, I just feel we're so aligned and what you've got to share, I think is going to help so many people. So tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and how you support people in your life. Thank you so much for having me and, and for asking it. For the last 10 years, I've been serving as an executive coach, a leadership consultant, a mm-hmm. speaker, an author. And at the core of all of those roles that I carry, I exist to unlock human potential. And I really do value authenticity, growth, mm-hmm. and spirituality, right? Those are core to who I am and what I do and how I try to help others. And in a more personal sense, I'm a partner to a lovely woman named Tiffany. I have a stepdad named Aaliyah. And uh, if you ever read my book someday, Amanda, called I Know, uh, you'll hear about me being cat dad to a cat named Cleopatra. So (laughs) (laughs) I love cats. Uh, So we're alive there already. (laughs) Yeah. So Cleo has been a blessing in my life. But when I think about my ability to support people, I have had thousands and thousands of hours in the last 10 years supporting people who are right at that place where they know they need to grow, but they oftentimes Mm. grow through their most challenging experiences. How do they navigate loss? How do they navigate fear? How do they release those emotions? Mm -hmm. I also have some processes to help folks really get to the point of clarity about defining their life's mission or know what their personal brand is, or be able to define and live their core values, right? Which is really important today. And I've more so recently with organizations and corporations been doing a lot of work around emotional intelligence and how do we deepen those really important relationships around us. Yes. Uh, and, and even uh, in this last six months, I've actually become a little bit of a coach to coaches and how do we design those organizational cultures that really just allow for each of us to become a coach to ourselves and to others. And I'll mention one more thing here is that this is probably the most important thing. Probably the hardest thing is, is that I'm, I think both of you and I, Amanda, are really trying to help people trust their intuition yes. to know that their most, like their life's most pressing questions, like the answers are already inside of them. Yes. And it's just a matter of pulling them out. Through my own growth, I've learned that, you know, society will have us believe that everything is outside us to make us happy. And coming home to myself, I've realized everything I need, all the answers are within It's just taking that time to sit quietly with yourself and come back to the trust that you were born with. So I love what you're about. Yeah, ditto. Same to you. I think that it's so important. And when you and I spoke last week, 
you even identified your ego, right? Being a little bit different than your soul. Then you gave it a name, which I think is a brilliant strategy. So there's all of this that if we can really identify our soul's work or give our ego a name and kind of separate the two, it helps us really come back to ourselves powerfully. Yeah, because we're not our ego or our thoughts or emotions. And yet we're led to believe that. And it's limiting. And there's no need to limit us. We have the power within us. I agree. So let's get back to the nuts and bolts. Describe your childhood, because I think our childhood has such repercussions on how we are as adults and how your upbringing affected your growth as a young person. Yeah, and I, I really want folks to who are listening to see the to kind of connect the disparate dots here. So I'll try to, but I really want people to see them. So I was raised in a very small town in Michigan in the United States, and there's a town of 2,500 people. And although it was a great place to be raised, it was very homogeneous in ethnicity in thought in belief patterns and routines and habits and rituals that people did day to day. So it was very homogeneous for the first 23 years of my life. And I was raised in an old farmhouse that had two red barns around it. And so it was a little bit disconnected from the rest of the folks because it was quite a ways out of town. So back then, my grandfather was basically passing his landscaping and lawn maintenance company to my dad, who bought it from him in 1987. And my mom, still to this day, has been working as a waitress. She loves to be able to serve people in restaurants. Mm-hmm. So I was raised working in an entrepreneurial family, in, but my mom serving as a waitress. And I know for sure that my parents did the best that they could. But because my dad was working so much or because my mom was really in this business of serving other people, I really felt abandoned in those Mm -hmm. years, right? I would find myself hiding in the bedroom. I would find myself feeling stress and anxiety anytime that my parents had disagreements or were fighting. And that really stuck with me for quite some time. So I, at age 12, I started working inside the family business. And then that moved me from that place of abandonment to now I started to feel like a robot inside my family's business, right? I was just taking orders, really not allowed to be my authentic self. And I was just kind of, you have to do what it is that others tell you to do. And so what I know now, but looking back on, I realized that I was being subconsciously taught that love or recognition or praise only happened after I did something for someone else, like working a 60 or 70 hour work week. Yeah, And I had one escape during those years and it was only one and it was the game of golf. And that was the only escape that I had. So I had these challenges. I had these feelings of abandonment. I had these feelings of being a robot within the family business. And that's, it's no secret as to why I would now feel so focused on authenticity, because for all those years, I was never allowed to be authentic. No. And I think that's for many children, maybe not so much nowadays, but in the past, I was like that you were seen not to be heard, but just to do what you were told and don't question it. Don't express your opinions. And that's why I'm showing up to allow parents to heal their inner wounds so that their children don't have to be go through their parents' life projected onto them. Well said. Now, now, I know you've hit a lowest point in your life. How did you rise up from that? Gosh. So th- this all hit me at the same time. And I'm guessing that some folks are maybe going through something quite similar for themselves more so now. But in July of 2018, I decided to exit a six-year romantic relationship. And in that same month, we sent her daughter, who I refer to as my stepdaughter, off to college. And so basically in the span of 30 days, I was moving from a being in a romantic relationship to being single. And my stepdaughter now is two hours away, right, inside of getting her college degree. 
So I had a couple of months at the end of 2018 where I was just trying to reflect and come back to center for myself. So I decided to make some investments in my business uh, around some workshop and some online courses and some other Mm -hmm. things. And so the beginning of 2019, I tried those things in my business only to have them not work out, right? I didn't produce a lot of revenue from them. So I made a heavy investment financially, but didn't get a lot back. And so that led me to this place in May of 2019, where my romantic relationship was gone. My stepdaughter was not emotionally gone, but physically gone. And these things in my business weren't working. So I was at a place of tremendous despair. And I was living at that time in a very small apartment in one of Phoenix's toughest neighborhoods. And I remember looking out the window and really questioning myself and getting to the point of, why am I even on earth, right? Yeah. Should I be here? Do I want to be here? And so I, I lie on the floor there for a couple of hours contemplating suicide. Like, how would I do it? What would it mean? Who's going to miss me? All of those yes. questions that we all kind of think about. And then something somewhat miraculous happened. And Cleopatra, my cat, really could sense my despair. And as I was lying on the floor crying... She came over and she was, she just laid on my chest and she purred really loudly. And it was, Cleo's not really an affectionate cat. Mm-hmm. So for her to do that was quite odd. So I immediately knew that that was a sign from the universe. So somebody's they, listening. Yeah, you are important. No doubt. No doubt. And so th- that's the thing about that moment is, is that I felt a, a ton of tears, right? I felt a lot of frustration. I felt a lot of sadness. And I found myself then after that moment with Cleopatra doubling down on time with energy healers and Reiki masters and more conversations with mentors. And during that summer, it was really about those conversations. It was really about stopping all of those things in my life, like the business stuff that wasn't working. I just stopped it altogether and just kept the core of my business going. But I made more time to be in nature. I made more time for journaling. And what it helped me do over that summer was to shed the beliefs and the attitudes Mm -hmm. and the acculturation that I was taught all those years ago when I lived in Michigan. And so it gave me this chance in the summer of 2019 to really be in an emotional neutral zone where I could just experiment with things that were meaningful for me. Yes. Right. And that was really important. So whether it was meditating on a day-to-day basis, I would actually walk Cleopatra on a leash. So Amanda, if you could walk your cat on a leash, that would be awesome. I have Um, one of those cats. Yes. That's why I'm excited (laughs) to do that with. (laughs) So it was like those moments, like we would go outside for 30 minutes a day and walk around the neighborhood and just slowing down to enjoy life's Mm -hmm. simplest pleasures. Help me come back to me, help me come back to my intuition, help me come back to my soul and its purpose. And I'm so grateful for that time of almost nothingness because it helped me get back to what I refer to as my earth school curriculum. Yes. And I'm so thankful for that. But you found yourself, you came home to yourself and it's not in the doing, it's actually in the beingness. More importantly, what you said is you got rid of the layers that you were smothered under. We all are growing up within families that we lose the sense of not who we are, but who our being is. And I love the fact and the cat helping you, I just think is beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> you, I mean, you're right in that I, 2018, 2019 was very much in the doing mode, in the activity-based mode. Yes. And 2019 was my being mode. Mm-hmm. And I really want everybody listening to pay strong attention to that because it's easy in Western societies to be in the doing mode because that's what society says yeah. is normal. We're trained but- in that. Completely. And so I just encourage everybody to get back to the basics and be in the being mode. Mm. Because life will continue regardless. That's what I have discovered. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Now, these layers I was talking about, 
They can create inherited narratives from our parents. How did you deal with yours growing up in Michigan? Yeah, so I'm a bit of a learner. So I like to learn from a lot of uh, different people, podcasts and books and, and various things. And so I somehow stumbled across Dr. Bruce Lipton and who has been a neuroscientist basically since 1971. And what he taught me, and then some other folks like Dr. Joe Dispenza and others, was that there are five brainwave states, right? There are five ways in which our brain learns. And so what Lipton talks about is how from birth until age six, our brain is in the theta brainwave state, which is mm-hmm. everything in our, in our environment around us is baked right into our subconscious. Okay. And so, right, it's kind of our operating system, right? And according to uh, Dispenza, the subconscious processes 400 billion bits of information per second. Wow. Right? So our soul, our subconscious. And, but after age six, our, our body, our soul transitions into the beta brainwave state. So from age six until the time we would transition physically, we are in this environment of being in the beta, which is our ego. It's our conscious mind, which processes 2000 bits of information per second, right? So there's a really marked difference. Definitely. And so I took the time to really try to integrate this understanding and awareness of the difference between what was happening in my ego, my consciousness or my subconscious soul. And so what I was able to recognize and see was that the things that I was taught from birth until age six, and of course, for a couple of years after that, that those were some acculturated inherited narrative mm-hmm. that were not mine. Yeah. Right? They were not my earth school curriculum. They're not why I came here. Sometimes I refer to them as a generational curse, if you will. <laughs> yeah. And it's time to, you know, cut that curse out of your life. Right. So what I was taught, and I shared this just a second ago, but I'll reiterate it was that the, from my dad's side of the family, generation, generation, and generation were taught that you had to work hard in order to receive love. Wow. Right. And I can think back to various interactions that I've had with my dad. And of course, with my grandpa, that they were never really given a strong emotional environment. So mm-hmm. I was also taught from that family uh, side, uh, emotional abandonment. Yeah. And so I was aware of that as a result of understanding Lipton's research. So then the third thing that really popped up for me, and this was more from my mom's side, is that my mom's side was a bit more emotional and a bit more engaged in that way. But I found that when they were under stress, and I picked this up as a behavior, was is that they would soothe their negative emotions with some sort of food, some sort of drink, you know, some sort of thing that was actually taking them away. Yeah. 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 I think we all do that. Yes. For sure. And the thing that I picked up from those times when my mom and my dad were, were fighting was, is that I picked up that my mom would always eat some sort of sugar after the fight. And then I learned that sugar then came after the fight. And so I became to believe that anytime that there was some sort of negative circumstance, emotional or otherwise, that sugar came right thereafter. So I became addicted to sugar and mm-hmm. soothed my own emotions via that. And that was a really big learning for me. So I had to really consciously think about my environment. Do I allow sugar into my home when I go out? Do I order dessert? Like all of those things, Mm -hmm. what does that look like? And so what I had to think about for myself, especially in the summer of 2019, was how do I work less to be able to garner emotional love, support, and care, not from the work, but from just being me? Yeah. And so I spent more time reading client testimonials. I would sit in the feeling of the praise that they would offer. And I began over time to learn that I was worthy of all of this love and adulation and praise without having to take any action. And that was an enormous meaning for me, or that was a, that helped me tremendously. And I'll, I'll mention one more thing here, Amanda, and maybe this is something that you dive into too with your clients 
is, is that as I started to think more about energy and how there are seven chakras inside the human body, I spent time learning about those chakras and the energy and what they were associated with in terms of emotions or feelings for our body. I also found myself buying Oracle card decks. I also (laughs) find myself, you know, like trying to find ways to stay connected to source spirit, God, whatever you call it. I was even like using Sage and Palo Santo to to smudge my home and my body a little bit more. uh, And that helped too. So being very clear about what was happening in my brain, right? uh, From my ego or from my subconscious identifying those generational curses or inherited narratives, and then really working consciously for multiple months by talking to others or by working on myself specifically and slowing down. I think that's really helped me to get to a place where I'm at today, which feels much more balanced. Yeah, totally. I loved your example of your mother self-soothing with sugar, and we do it in different ways. It could be work. You know, we throw ourselves into work. It could be alcohol, drugs. But what I've realized is, you know, you get that craving But there is an emotion underneath that that says wanting to be processed and released. And we're avoiding it because you might feel too much pain from it. It brings up bad memories. But it's having the courage to actually say, okay, I can do this. I've got me. I've got my back. And I'm going to sit and work through it. Because a lot of our emotions that are repressed are from childhood trauma. And we didn't finish the trauma cycle. Yeah. And it got stuck in our body and now we have pains and, you know, addictions and we're actually addicted to some emotions. Love the way you said that. I had first learned about what the University of Tennessee in America calls adverse childhood experiences or an ACE score. And so they refer to it as an ACE score. And so I'm glad that there are places that are now beginning to talk more about these things and how they really affect us. And I really appreciate what you said, Amanda, about how there's a cycle. And we have to sit in the negative emotion. We have to think about those emotions. We have to think about the lessons we learn from them. Because undoubtedly, it seems to me that healing that cycle comes from being able to process the negative emotions, see that Mm -hmm. there were lessons learned from them. But then now we can also uplift or guide or help someone else through something similar for themselves. And I really think that that helps to close the cycle. And Totally. And with emotions, I mean, we do have judgments on emotions. And what I'm trying to do with my mood munches, I'm creating for children and families is that all emotions are okay. There's no good, bad, right or wrong. They're just emotions like roommates. They just want to come and have a little visit and job and move on. From our narratives and stories we make up as children just to feel heard and seen, we can create our own and our ego has actually created our own limiting beliefs. How do those beliefs stop us from stepping into our true essence and ourselves? Oh gosh, in so many ways. I'll mention one resource here real quick in case anybody's interested. There's this wonderful author named Carol Truman, and she wrote a book called Feelings Buried Alive Never Die. And so for those folks who haven't quite closed that trauma cycle, what Carol does in this book is she equates any physical illness that we may be experiencing with an underlying emotional thing that hasn't been released yet. I totally agree with her. I haven't read the book, but I totally agree with her. (laughs) Oh my gosh. You have to check it out, Amanda, because near the end of the book, there are pages and pages and pages of listing a physical illness and then bullet points right underneath the illness of the possible emotional cause. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. So that. that was really helpful for me in terms of limiting beliefs to be able to understand kind of some of those inherited narratives and then saying, okay, how have I manu my ego? How has it manufactured these limiting beliefs today? And I said it earlier, like we all have what I believe is an earth school curriculum. And what I mean by that is that I think our soul sits down with source, spirit, God, angels, spirit guides, whatever you want to call them before we choose our parents and before we choose our body. 
And so we have this Earth School curriculum. And so we come to Earth as this really unique entity that has this curriculum of things they're meant to learn. Mm-hmm. But then from birth until age six, we're acculturated and we're passed to those inherited narratives. And, and almost in a way, we're kind of taken off our path, if yes. you will. Yes, I agree with you. But I think once we're born and we're in this form, we forget all what we were meant to learn. And it keeps opportunities, situations keep hitting us in the face. And yeah. so finally we go, aha, I get it. It's a lesson I'm meant to take. God, I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> Yeah, it's like I almost perceive that as being an upward spiral, Amanda. Like it, the the message starts out kind of small, but then as the spiral goes up, the lessons get a little bit harder. And if you haven't dealt with it emotionally, the lesson's going to be extremely difficult, like it was for me in May of 2019. Mm-hmm. Yes. So after age six, when we're in the beta brainwave state and we begin to think about how do we become this really authentic version of ourselves and try to get back to our Earth School curriculum, we have to shed the acculturation. We have Mm -hmm. to find a way to reconnect with that curriculum. And I really do believe that all souls come here just to have experiences and to learn and grow, Mm -hmm. or depending on if you get later in life, it's a little bit about contributing to the self-actualization of others. So these inherited narratives, they kind of become these limiting beliefs to say that we aren't powerful enough. We aren't worthy. Our stories don't matter. I certainly have had that happen to me a number of times in the last 10 years as a coach. And I've had to try to kind of work around that mm-hmm. and, and the way that I did that for myself and the way that I also want others to, to really see this is to do a bit of data collection about yourself, right? Sit down and take some time of data collection. And the way that I do it is I have a client do a communications assessment. I have them do a motivators assessment, why they do what they do. I have them uncover their core values. Yes. And then I give them a, a 10 point Q and a to help them see some of the patterns from their life's kind of progress so far. And then I ask them to define their authority. What are the strengths? What are the certificates? Mm-hmm. What are the degrees that they have? Because what that does is in a very objective, unemotional way, it helps them inch back to their true self, Yes. right? They start to see themselves not inside the limiting beliefs, but they start to see themselves as being this authentic, unique being. Now, I'll like conceptually at a really big picture in an astrological sense, I think 2012 was an important time in at least our human history because The 2000 years that led up to 2012, we were in what's called the age of Pisces. And so in the age of Pisces, we were a very tribal group, right? We wanted to rely on others or seek cues from others to know that we fit in or that we were a part of something, right? We learned our meaning as being a human being from the tribal groups. Yes. And after 2012, we moved into the age of Aquarius which is very much about knowing that the answers are definitely inside of yourself. And so as you listen to Amanda and I talk, right, we're helping to reinforce this idea that all of the answers are inside of you, right? You, we now have the capacity to be an individual with a direct connection to whatever your deity is. And you can know that everything that you do in life will be based on your own choices and decisions, mm-hmm. not from finding meaning as a result of being a part of a different group. No. Right. So there's a process for getting rid of those limiting beliefs, if you will. I love it. It's you can choose you. I do think tribe, I'm part of a network of tribe, but we're like-minded. We are awakened in our awareness. And I think before we were very asleep. Mm. And I think the world is starting to wake up. And that is really important because as we both know, everything is inside us. We just have to take time. And I love what you do for your clients because you let them just see the facts without any emotions or attachments to realize, look what I've been through. Look what I've learned look what I actually have. The power is in me. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, Well said. That's really what it's about. And like, 
when I thought about the various steps of my process that I would normally help a client through, I really wanted to associate some sort of specific action and a feeling with each of those steps, because I not only wanted them to see themselves objectively, but I also wanted to trigger a positive emotion, right? Some sort of subjective, positive Mm -hmm. thing that they could latch onto that would help shape the narrative away from maybe a pessimistic side. Yes. The negative talk that we have going always. Yes. Changing your way of thinking is huge. Now, a little while ago, you mentioned you had a stepdaughter as a teacher and as a mother. Children are very important to me. But as parents, we have a big role. What advice do you have for parents on how to raise their children? I'll be the first to tell you, Amanda, maybe you have this with your son. But with with my stepdaughter, I have made a boatload of mistakes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And it's okay. (laughs) And and you're right. It is okay. You know, uh, I was... When she was in high school, we overfocused on grades or we overfocused mm-hmm. on making sure that she was going to the right university. We were overfocused on who Results. she hung out with. <laughs> yep. Right. Or, you know, who, who is she hanging out with or not hanging out with? And it was a really important lesson for me to learn because what I was doing was parenting her the same way my parents parented me. Yes. You know, I had to slowly through that period of time as she was expressing herself more and more and more. I began to recognize her pain. I began to recognize her her school curriculum. I began to recognize what she was doing here. And so now she lives about 20 minutes from where I live in Arizona. And so now we can spend more time together. She's 20 years of age now, but in this environment, it's a lot easier for her and I to be able to look back at those years to for me to openly express some of those things that I somewhat regretted, but learned from, and I can express to her today, what were those lessons that I learned? And one of the things or a couple of the things that I share with her quite often is that I now view her as my life's greatest teacher. Yes, I I totally agree with you on that. Our children come to teach us the lessons that we refuse to take on. (laughs) Otherwise, that's my... That is brilliantly stated. That is brilliantly stated. So true. And another way to look at that, I think, is to say... I attempted to, but now I don't, I don't want anybody, a parent that's listening to try to make their children or child an idealized version of what the parent could never become. No, right? And they have their right, own journey. And yeah. you know, I could say, oh, I wanted to play the piano or oh, my son will do it for me. That's what I've realized is just about the ego talking. And actually we don't own our children. I'm coming very clear on that. They just come through us. And they're only with us for a very short time, if you think we're living to 100 nowadays. And we're just there to as a guide. But as you said, they have more lessons to teach us than we have there. Yeah. But if we're confident and true and have healed our inner wounded child as parents, imagine the light and the guide and the trust we will instill. And they will be just as they are without yeah. any agenda. And I think that's amazing. That's so important. Yeah. So re- reminding myself continually that yeah, your son or my stepdaughter or anybody who's listening who has children, that child has sovereignty. And yes. we need to really honor that, right? Don't continually pressure the child. Don't dump what it is that we're missing as parents in our own lives onto our children to hope that they can fill those gaps. I think oftentimes that for those folks who are feeling unfulfilled in their own ways, parenting can kind of become like a mask because it, yes. it's a way for a parent to avoid doing their own spiritual work. Yes, right? to do the work, get curriculum. somebody else to do it for you. You know, there are so many things that comes to our children. What it really comes down to is honor the child's sovereignty. Do what Amanda just said, which is to honor that they came through you and that they are your greatest teacher. And if you do that, you're really going to honor that child in so many more ways to help them feel 
joy and fulfilled and happiness and engaged and wanting to be a part of your life. So if we do that, we're going to be in a great place. I also think as parents, if we've done that, how good you will feel about yourself because you haven't tried to manipulate or make them anything that you may have experienced from your own parents. Well said. Yeah. But it's about stopping those transgenerational stories and just saying you are a being in your own right. I don't own you. I'm just here to support you when I can. As I yeah. said to my son when he was recently in hospital and at 13, he's totally independent. But I saw my little boy again and I, all I said is that I'm here for you. I love you. I am always here and I'm not going to leave you because he just needs to feel that safety. Yep. And that's all we need to do. It's as simple it. as that. That's it. <laughs> wow, we, we found the answer. <laughs> to, to love ourselves and to love others, like that's, that's it. That's what yeah, we're here absolutely. on earth to do. It's that simple. Well, I do think love is, answers everything. So why is self-love, which I know I wasn't good at giving myself, and acceptance important to all of us? And you're pointing it to yourself there. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I say all of us. <laughs> why is it so important to self-love oh, and accept? Again, if, if my beliefs around this are true, that our soul chooses our curriculum, our soul chooses our parents, our soul chooses this, these paths that we navigate in life, we're here for a specific purpose. We're here to shed specific emotions. We're here to shed specific thought processes or ways of being. We're here to shed those generational curses. We're here to shed those inherited narratives. Mm-hmm. So if, if all of those things are true, accepting that you're here for a set of experiences is really important because our soul is limitless, right? We're just a, mm-hmm. a small piece or a fractal of source God spirit, but our ego can only really engage with the world through the five senses. Mm -hmm. right? That's the only way it can engage with the world. And so we're kind of doing this process of really being on earth to engage the five senses and to experience those emotions and to have those feelings. And through that process, we're going to make mistakes and we're going to have massive wins. And that's a cycle that repeats throughout our entire life. And so self-love is really about no matter where we are in the cycle, no matter if we're at a high or a low, it's this remembering that for 100 years, we're here to have these really unique experiences to really enjoy the five senses, right? It's about enjoyment. It's about that. But there's also that part that you mentioned earlier, Amanda, which is our soul recognizes that our time here is so short and that self-love is constantly walking back to understanding our soul's purpose. And so I believe, and you mentioned this earlier, is that when we first come to earth, we, we, our soul passes through what's called the veil of illusion. And so we basically forget what it means to be a soul. And so the rest of the self-love, if we continue to grow it and build it and nurture it throughout our human life, we get back to learning what it means to be a soul, right? What it means to be a part of everything around us because we're all connected energetically. So for me, it's like, hey, we understand from a human sense that we have these adverse childhood experiences and traumas and inherited narratives and generational curses. But our work is to continue to engage the five senses, no matter what comes our way to just enjoy that ride. Because as we get more in tune with the ride, the amount of self-love grows. Mm -hmm. And that really matters because then all of a sudden a much more utopian world comes about, right? As we navigate into the age of Aquarius, a much more utopian, much more connected, a much more collaborative, a much more positive world is likely to come. So the more we love ourselves, the more the collective consciousness is going to rise. Earth's vibration is going to rise. The awakening, if you will, of humanity will rise. And we're all going to realize we're all in this together. Yeah. I love that what you said, um, the joy of the senses, because we're so 
quick to dismiss, and this is from our ego, but the joy of being alive, simple as that, is amazing. And what I do as part of my ritual is I acknowledge what I've done during the day. You know, I forgive what I'm not so happy about, but I acknowledge myself. And I think we're very slow to do that. We can acknowledge others, but, you know, self-acknowledgement and taking time for I am important, I matter, I think is all part of it. Because when you love yourself fully, love just abundantly comes from you to others. And that's what we want for this world. Completely agree. And for anybody, when we think about if we're not coming from a place of self-love, there's a very easy way to recognize that you're not. And it's just that you're feeling some sort of negative emotion, Hmm. you know, any type of sadness or frustration or anger or doubt, whatever those negative emotions are in your world. If you're feeling that, that's how you know you've gotten just a little bit off track. And that's just the earth's way of kind of realigning you back to what matters to you. Yeah. And we've both been there, both you and I, but we're no longer there and they will pass. But also, if you don't feel that, you wouldn't know what love and happiness on the other side of the equation is. So, But they're just emotions. Don't Don't be fearful of emotions. They're just there. That's why we're human, to feel. Now, the world over the last two years, I can nearly say now, has changed over lockdown. Why was lockdown a good thing for people? I know lots of you know people did lose their lives and that is very sad. But overall, why was lockdown a good thing? You're right. There were definitely lots of moments of despair and wonderment Mm -hmm. and loss, fear. Many of those things did exist and I want to acknowledge those. And you know, my my loss or my feelings of of suicide and those things that I had a couple years back, I'm not offering judgment that someone's feelings of negativity or of wonderment are better or worse than someone else or more or less than someone else, because we all have our traumas in our own way, some physical, some emotional, we all have them. So I want to honor that for each person. Yes. But I also recognize what's happening. And so I'm seeing a lot of things on social media coming from the mainstream media. What's happening is, is that we're seeing a polarization of a lot of different things on earth. But what that means to me, right, underlying all of it is, is that for the first time in a very long time, people across the world are using their voice. Yes. I mean, for the first time in a long time, if ever in their respective lives, they're using their voice, they're speaking their truths, they're understanding what it means for themselves to be authentic. And a lot of the the negative events or the negative energies that existed on earth, a positive thing is that that's, that system is coming to light, Yes. right? Anytime that there's any bad stuff that's happening politically or in business or on earth in general, that stuff is coming to light. So people are now learning about that bad energy that existed and it's now being dissipated, right? Mm-hmm. Which I think is really helpful. The other thing that I said to a client a couple of years back, right when the lockdown started was almost overnight people at scale learned that they're far more capable of change than they previously believed. (laughs) Totally. Because people fear change. And yet, you know, if you think of the seasons, nature's always changing. There's nothing that's permanent. That impermanence is who we are, actually. Yep. I love that. That's a great way to say it. So I see people using their voice, speaking their truths, becoming authentic, seeing some of those bad things that might've happened under the radar. It's now coming to light and it's being called out, which is great. So now there's more right happening than wrong happening. People are learning that they're really capable of change, even if they didn't believe that they were. Some people are overcoming those feelings of suppression or oppression, maybe in those respective ways. So I see people walking into their own power. And probably most importantly is, is that the, the old phrase or statement, there's two of them I'll reference here. People are seeing that the best drug for another human is another human. Yes. Connection. Right? That, that's really all it is, is. Is that when you think about that, 
that's really what matters is that when we think about how do we heal, everything happens emotionally first. And so through those emotions, if we have connection with people, then all of a sudden the physical illness and a lot of those things kind of dissipate and go away. But we get to a place of really getting to this place of positivity, connection, trying to support ourselves in our own growth and development and also helping others. And I think that that matters tremendously. Yes, totally agree with you. I realized because we couldn't go out, we were stuck, but we're united across the world in this. And we've come more connected with our family and our loved ones. And we've realized what's important. Yeah, there's a great study. And I don't know if you've heard of this, Amanda, but it came out of uh, Harvard and it's called the Harvard Study of Adult Development. And so back in the early 1930s, they decided to start tracking a group of graduating students from Harvard years and years back. So for over 80 years, they've been tracking them, like socioeconomic status, their relationships, mm-hmm. uh, health and well-being, all of those things. And they thought as years passed that the trigger to success or a happy life was going to be fame, money, power, yeah. all of those things. And it turned out that the thing that mattered more to a long, happy and healthy life was the depth and quality of someone's relationships. Yes, 100%. That's it. Humans were built for connection. <laughs> you and I know that in our intuition, in our heart. Thankfully, this Harvard study of adult development has been tracking it for 80 plus years. They confirmed it. And so for everybody listening, society says that you should go after the fame and the power and the money and the success, mm-hmm. but it is, is leading you astray. What yes. matters more than anything is your emotional intelligence and capacity to deepen relationships with people around you. That's yes. all that matters. Start with you, connect with yourself and then others, and then anything is possible. Following the pandemic, how do you think we're going to move forward? I think in the next couple of years, society is going to be pretty radically different from what Mm -hmm. it is today. And I don't exactly know. I have premonitions. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I think that there are certain things that we can uh, somewhat predict. In chapter two of my book, it's it's called I Know. I, I tried to talk through a couple of the things that I thought might be inducing fear in people because the chapter focuses on that. Mm -hmm. And so when I thought about what is it that might be coming on earth, right? As a result of this move from the age of Pisces into the age of Aquarius or moving from a tribal mindset into an individual mindset, what would change? And I think what's coming is as an example, right? We have around the world, we have pretty large bureaucratic governments, I think that in the near future, governments will probably be 10 to 15% of the size that they are today, right? I think that there's going to be a shift in that they're going to be decentralized and we're not going to be as bureaucratic or or hierarchical as we have Mm -hmm. been. I think that we're going to see smaller governments and more local control, if you will. I think that's a big one. Now, another thing, obviously, we see this a lot in the news is that the Western countries have a very, a a pharma-based or an allopathic medicine system. And I think that the medicine system is going to change in the next couple of years away from pharma or allopathic-based. It still exists in some ways, but I think it's going to be replaced by a much more homeopathic. And now that we have the technology, we're going to see what's referred to as a quantum healthcare system. And so we're starting to tap into some of those other energies as earth vibrations rise. And so I think we're going to move from one healthcare system to another. And I also look at it and I say, okay, right now, religion at scale, right? According to ethnology, there are more than 7,000 religions on earth. Wow. Quite a few, right? Yeah. When I think about what religion has been for quite some time, I think that it's going to move and transition to where people are going to really understand at a deep level that the deities, the things that they may have believed in or been taught by for thousands of years 
uh, they're not necessarily theirs to emulate. We don't have to operate in accordance with that or do exactly as that person did years ago. Mm-hmm. We can now be our own version of our own deity, right? We're just exactly. this little fractal. We're just this little piece of source or God. And I think that that's going to be a big transition that we will start to view our, our bodies kind of as a temple. We'll start to view our soul a little bit as a temple. So I see a little bit of a decentralization happening there too. And one other thing I'll mention is that definitely in business, right? Because that's a lot of what earth has been built around is, is that we have many large worldwide multinational companies where everything has to be done via some really, really long contract, a lot of legalese, a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think that you're going to see a big shift away from business at a very hierarchical global scale, where now all of this technology has been decentralized. So now we're going to be doing business at a local level. And what's going to matter more than anything else is your capacity to be in a meaningful relationship with somebody who has a different skill set than you in your local community. So instead of doing business on a contract, (laughs) we're going to do business on a handshake. We're going to continue to see. Yes. Yeah. We're really going to continue to see what you and I have been talking about is that at scale, people more and more and more will trust their intuition. That's going to happen. But we're also going to see kind of the, the reformation of these structures and systems to be instead of national or international or global, they're going to decentralize back to local. Yeah. And Come back I don't to know the community. when it's going to happen. Yeah, it matters. That mm, takes some thinking. But no, I think that's lovely because it's about the connection and about people around you. It doesn't have to be, you know, the government as if that's the one thing. And even in religion, I think all religion is based on source, one source, whatever you call it. And it's about love. Yes. But we've changed it over the years and it's time to strip off those layers again and come back to what matters. Yeah. In astrology and other people, people that and generations of people that have come before kind of the English or United States rule, right? The hegemon, if you will, there was definitely this belief that we're in this environment where we can move to that very local idea, right? And so we have in various times in human history, we've gone through these cycles And so what I've read more recently is something called the great year in that earth goes through 26,000 year cycles. And it just so happens that at more recently, 2012 was kind of that tipping point from as we're in that 26,000 year cycle, we transitioned out of what they refer to as the dark ages, where there's a Mm -hmm. lot of negativity and pessimism on earth and bad events in that we're, we're crossing in 2012 and the subsequent years now to today. We're crossing into a much more utopian society. Yes, yes. But, but yes. that transition is hard, right? We're mm. going through a lot of really tough All stuff. Transition right now. is hard. Yes, it's worth it. Yeah, totally. So I think in the coming years it'll be a much more optimistic, collaborative, utopian world. We just need to bring all of the bad stuff from the last few thousand years to the surface, so that people mm-hmm. are aware of them, and then they can make independent choices for themselves. Yeah, because once you know it and. It- You've brought it to your consciousness, it can be dealt with, but if you don't, you've got nothing to deal with. So that's very true. I love your growth and how grounded you are from where you were to where you are now. It's just amazing. So what routines or rituals keep you grounded and Michael being Michael to do his earth journey? Yeah, there have been, as I mentioned with my stepdaughter, there have been plenty of mistakes along the way, plenty of iterations, plenty of experimentation and trying what works for me and what doesn't. And what has really come to me at this point, I'm 41 years of age at the time Mm -hmm. of recording, is that 20 minutes of meditation as soon Mm -hmm. as I wake up in the morning without any other distractions 
has been a massive blessing because I attempt prior to going to bed, I attempt to, while I'm lying in bed about ready to fall asleep, I try to ask the universe source God for some sort of guidance, right? I want to plant something in my subconscious so that I can try to dream about it or work through it in my dreams or while I'm in sleeping. So then I wake up and I immediately go to the point of meditation to see if there's any learning that came from the previous six, seven, eight hours. Yes. Um, And then So hopefully there's some clarity, some balance, getting my emotions back in check happens during the meditation. And then three or four mornings a week, I have to go to a gym, right? All emotion is just energy in motion. Mm -hmm. So you have to get it out of your body, whether it's through the things that you think, whether it's through physical activity or whether it's through writing or journaling or talking to somebody, Mm -hmm. going to an instructor led class at the gym, it really helps me a lot. And then when I get back, as I'm having a smoothie or some sort of breakfast, I use a couple of different astrology apps. One's called The Pattern. Mm-hmm. Another one's called CoStar. Another one's called World Numerology. And those give me a good solid foundation for what's happening in that day or what's happening globally, because each of them talk about what's going to impact you as an individual. But they also then say, here's the energy that's floating around earth, right? Yes. Here's what might affect you. And that helps. So after that, then the day begins, I'm serving clients, whatever it is. And I really try hard to eat food that has a relatively high vibrational frequency. And so I, and so I use 23andMe, the assessment, and I gave that to a a company called Genopallet and they design food intake for your DNA strand. Wow. That has been tremendously helpful for me to stay at a high vibrational level because there are certain processed foods and of course, things like alcohol that have very low vibrational no, yes, frequencies, yes. right? And it's like one but, lady said, she doesn't eat anything that hasn't seen sunlight. Ah, that's a great way to say it. I love that. You know, and because that's true food. Yeah, it, exactly. So there, I really do believe, you know, there's, there's something on earth called the Schumann resonance and it's kind of earth's heartbeat. And you mentioned that earlier about her earth is a living, breathing mechanism. And so the Schumann resonance is, is that earth vibrates at 7.83 Hertz all the time. So there's this constant vibration and it just so happens that human body and the organs inside of our body roughly resonate about that same level, somewhere wow. between seven. So to we nine. are connected very much. So, so by using Geno palette, it helps me to eat the foods that roughly vibrate at that same frequency. And so that, that helps me tremendously to stay grounded I don't really watch a lot of television, right? It's called mm-hmm. programming for a reason. Yeah. Right? It... <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. It's programming your mind. Think for um, yourselves, come out of the box. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Please do. And I'll mention a couple more things here is that when it comes to feeling grounded, I really, although there was hardship in those younger years for me, I speak with my mom every Saturday and mm-hmm. I speak with my dad every Sunday. Lovely. And And I have come to this place of agreement with my own soul that no matter where they're at on their curriculum, me seeing how far I've come in conversation with them or seeing their own growth and development helps me to stay grounded because I can easily by society be compared to somebody else. Yes. But then I take that step back and say, wow, look Look what has happened. You've come. Yeah, exactly. And one more thing here, Amanda, is that where Tiffany and I live in Arizona, right to our east, is this 90-year-old woman. Our neighbor is a 90-year-old lady. I love doing things in her yard or helping her in some way or having conversations with her and her dog. And what that does for me, and I try to do it weekly as much as I can to help me stay grounded, is, is that it's really easy to learn about regrets in life from someone who's been through the vast majority of life. I love that. And it reminds me to take 
uh, risks. It reminds me to be vulnerable. Mm. It reminds me to do the things I wanted to do because I don't want to be 90 years of age living in some sort of regret. Yeah. Step into your power, step into risks because risks just change the language. They're just opportunities. So I love that. And also you're serving somebody else. So it's not about you. So that's a two way thing for me. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. True. I think you've been inspirational. Now, how can people and listeners get in contact with you, Michael? Of course. Uh, thanks for your time, Amanda. This has been really fun. We, oh, no, you and my great. vibes are definitely the same. <laughs> We're reviving. <laughs> so the fastest way for folks to learn about me is my website, and it's michaelssiever.com. Uh, there are two S's there in the center. My middle name is Scott. And so that's how I'm known professionally. On there, there's videos. I'll, of course, put this podcast when it's live. And there's lots of material, online courses, free downloads. I've got 200 plus blogs on there. And so if anybody's really looking to become that really authentic version of themselves, michaelssiever.com can definitely be a repository for that. I love it. Amazing. Now, to end this amazing interview, and you've shared so much, and I'm grateful for what you've shared. Thank you. What one golden piece of advice what nuggets have you got for our listeners? So in addition to listening to all of Amanda's podcast episodes, is that? <laughs> That's the best one you've given. Yeah, I like that one. <laughs> That's my ego talking. <laughs> okay, so, so number one, make sure you listen to all of Amanda's episodes. Thank uh, you. But number two, <laughs> number two, and I don't remember where I heard this and I do not own the rights to this. Somebody else said it. The phrase is, be the person you needed when you were younger. <gasps> oh, I just love that. And when I first saw that years and years ago, that really struck me, right? Because I'm all about unlocking human potential. I'm all about authenticity. And I recognize that for each of us, we all in our younger years go through a challenge or a set of challenges. And then in our late 20s, early 30s, we figure out a way to overcome the challenge. And then we feel most connected to others around us from basically age 30 to 50, when we are helping others overcome the same Mm -hmm. challenge we overcame for ourselves. Totally. So. Be the person you needed when you were younger. You will find immense joy in that. And I will think you'll find your soul's purpose in that as well. Yes. Wow. I have loved this interview. I think you're an amazing human being. I appreciate everything you've gone through with your life. And I really appreciate who you're stepping up to be. So thank you. So realign with your power. Be the person you needed to be when you were younger. And heal that inner wounded child and help others because that's what we're all about. Thank you for your time, Michael. My pleasure. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you.